and define your palette, define your voice and your style and your aesthetic and create that whole package. So I've done it. I mean, it took me like, I'd say 28 years. So Hannah is probably one of the people that visually I am most inspired by. She has found a way to design almost every aspect of her life. And in this conversation, we talked to her about loss and about gain and how she's navigated her creative endeavors and found a way to make that you know, a successful living for her. And I think that this is a conversation that so many of us will be able to connect to and be able to understand how we can make our life art. My girls, my guys, my group. This is MG Method, the podcast. I've never done like a podcast explaining it. So now maybe yes. I can just give them the link and be yes. like, well, listen yes. to that. <laughs> yes, because I'm so curious. And I think also a lot of times with freelance artists, people have no idea. Like, mm-hmm. how did you... St- how is she even in this place and working with these brands and and but even before we get there um will you explain um just who you are give us your full name and let us know where you're from originally yeah hannah faith lord uh yes i was raised uh christian came from (laughs) came from a big family of lords there's (laughs) 10 kids yeah five five girls five boys um i was i was born in minnesota in a small county in a old school house, actually. It's very like Little House on the Prairie-esque, honestly. <laughs> and where do you fall with the siblings? Are you, where do you I'm, fall? I'm number two, so Queen Bee. Okay. Basically, it's, <laughs> I, have an, yeah, I have an older brother. Um, and then there was three more boys below me before I had sisters. So I grew up like with all brothers, basically until I was almost nine, like eight or nine years old. And I remember my mom she was about to have another baby and she had all of us at home. So we're like at her door of her bedroom and I'm on one side chanting, girl, 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 girl. And then there's four boys on the other side chanting, boy, boy, boy. boy. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's no way I'm going to win this. But I had had a dream the night before that it was going to be a girl. And I didn't even know that my mom was going to go into labor that day. So I was like, I know it's going to be a girl, but like, what are the odds? There's four of them chanting. There's one of me. And sure enough, (laughs) she had a girl. I was so happy when I finally had a sister. And then after that, it was like another girl. And then there was a boy and then two more girls. So my youngest brother, he grew up with all sisters kind of. And like, I grew up with all the boys. So we have a special connection there, which I feel like growing up with brothers is like pretty cool. But then growing up with a bunch of like emotional sisters Sister. probably not <laughs> um, but, i'm um, one of four i'm one of four yeah, girls so, you so know. i really get it yes oh my I gosh do. <laughs> i didn't have to deal with the drama because like yeah. i was like queen bee like everybody's looking up to me so it's like i didn't have to go through like back and forth of fighting with sisters and that kind of thing it was like what hannah says goes <laughs> <laughs> and so like back to you your mother having her children at home within the house so were they raised in minnesota and like what was your family environment like so this at the time was this non-conventional for what you know for the people that you guys knew or was this just normal practice for people to have the children at home um probably not not yet. i mean maybe 
maybe it's a little more now. I feel like there's a lot more like holistic births now where people are doing them at home or they're doing it in a midwifery home or that kind of thing. Like my little sister just did that recently. But back then it was like, you're basically Amish if you're giving birth to your children at yeah. home. And my, my mom just has like, she's super holistic, but she gave birth to most of us in Minnesota. And then we moved to Tennessee when I was like three or four and that's where the chanting happened. <laughs> um, that's where two of the girls and one of the other boys was born. And we spent about five years there. And I feel like that was kind of the the highlight of my childhood was we grew up on at the base of a mountain. And it was a tiny little house, just like one floor, which was terrible because there was a lot of tornadoes and we had nowhere to go underground. But like... It was such a dream life for a kid because we were homeschooled and my mom was just very into learning off of kind of like experiences. So like we did a lot of like reading and like all of that stuff, but a lot of times our learning was to go out and experience like nature. And like if we were doing any science projects, it was like outdoors and like we were actually doing things with our hands and like feeling. And I think it was like such a great experience for me because it really showed me that I don't have to follow the social norm of of life and we lived at the base of a mountain so we were always up in the woods my dad built us a fort it was like a fort that was eight feet off the ground there all these kids are like under <laughs> seven like what was he thinking <laughs> but he was the greatest dad like always doing stuff for us like he was building me a log cabin right before we moved and I was obsessed with Little House on the Prairie like we, my mom read us those books we didn't have tv so we were like books were like our tv like we she would read to us and we would just imagine the whole thing mm. so I was like dad you gotta make me a cabin it's gotta happen there's no way I can live without a cabin <laughs> so he started making me one of those but there wasn't really like you know other things for us to do because we were still in the middle of nowhere but when we did go I remember one thing I was actually talking to my dad recently and because he was like ah oh, you know I just look back on some things and I wonder if I could have given you guys more blah 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 mm. and I was like dad actually one vivid memory I remember was my mom took us into this neighborhood one time to like visit a family and the kids were like let's go outside and play so they take me into their backyard and I'm like so like where's the rest of your yard <laughs> And, and they're all, well, this is our yard, Sorry. but like we can play in the neighbor's yard too. And I was like, wait, this is all they have. Yeah. And I'm, we were in the car driving home and I was like, mom, I feel so bad for those people who are so poor. They barely have any wow. land or like anything to play in yeah. and like no woods. Like where do they build their forts? And so it, I felt rich because we had so much space to explore and like kids would come over sometimes and they were blown away. So I feel, I feel really lucky for that. And like, as I got older, things just were always kind of like free spirited that kind of way. And my parents were restrictive um, religiously in the beginning with like how I dressed or um, the friends I hung out with or what I did in that kind of way. But once I turned like 18, my dad was like, just don't kill yourself. <laughs> you <know? laughs> or someone else or someone yeah, yeah. else. Or someone else. Yeah. Just be a good human. Goodbye. <laughs> you know, so. Did so so how, did you, were you homeschooled then throughout even high school, middle school, mm -hmm. high school, the whole bit? Yeah, but I ended up going to um, college while I was in high school, the, my final two years in high school. I did PSEO, which is like the post-secondary option. It's offered at a lot of schools as a way to get kids into college and through their general courses for free. 
So then I ended up going into personal fitness training and I studied at this place that's actually here in California and I did it all online. And then I worked for um, a chain of fitness studios called Snap Fitness in Minnesota and I taught women and I made up my own classes. (laughs) It was super fun. And I did that for a little over a year until I was like, oh, Uh, I think I need to get into the creative, you know, but you got to kind of like go through these like changes to see where you want to be. But my three things in life that I was like, I'm going to do at some point, whether they're all all together or separately, it was fitness, fashion and photography. I started started Uh, with my three F's. Yes. (laughs) I would talk about this. I would talk about this. Okay, go ahead, please share. So you would go through. Didn't really think at the time I had no idea that photography was something that you could actually sustain yourself with. Like it just felt like a too fun of a thing because yeah. I already I already did it for fun. And I'm like, there's no way someone would just like pay me. To do this. <laughs> <laughs> when you were growing up, who was the first person that kind of introduced you to photography in the first place? Like who gave you your first camera? How did you know that that was even a hobby or um, something that people did? I don't, I mean, it would have been like my parents, like film camera or something, but I think I was so intrigued with the fact that you could capture something in time and it forever stay that way. Um, and then my parents had like this giant VHS recorder and I was obsessed with making home videos with that. I would just carry this huge thing around <gasps> and I'd make all of my siblings act out things like the boy that like cried wolf and like, yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff. And and I would um, also make up stories. So I wanted like, originally I wanted to be a filmmaker because I, you know, you're a kid and you're like, I'm going to make movies, even though we barely watched movies. I mean, we would like, I think the first thing I ever saw was like Bill Nye, the science guy on like yes. a tiny little screen <laughs> that he was like basically so fuzzy that you couldn't make him out, but you could like hear what he was saying. We're like, yeah, this guy's so tight. But <laughs> we didn't even know what he looked like, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> But um, it was just something that fascinated me that you could like make up a storyline and people would watch it and feel like they were there, you know. And so using a VHS camera, I tried to do that. But it obviously didn't look the same as how they do it in the actual movies. I would like I would be like, stop. I'd like stop recording. I'd be like, get in the frame, get in the frame. And then I'd start <laughs> recording. So it looked like the person appeared, like that kind of stuff. I'm like trying to do it all within this like giant <laughs> Little did I know, like, people use, like, all this, like, editing tech. Yeah. So I would make those types of things. And then I would shoot my sisters on, like, 120 film. And most of it turned out, like, very creepy because that film is so old. that It's just, like, these (laughs) girls, like, running in fields and stuff with their blonde hair. just looks like ghosts everywhere. But it was, like, a lot of my photography back then was very dark and almost eerie. Not because I was dark, but because I found a romance in like the human form mixed with the elements of the earth. And like a lot of it was faceless. So I'd like have them jump off stuff and it looked like they were flying through the air and their hair would be everywhere. They, all my sisters had super long hair down to their butt cracks, like so amazing. And so I would like shoot them and I would shoot my little brothers and like that kind of stuff, just like in places out in nature. And um, I would do up their makeup and like all kinds of stuff to, kind of tell stories through imagery and like pull out emotion and that kind of thing. And it never felt like work. So I didn't think that it was something that could be a job, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, I was pretty young at that time and started doing the fitness training when I was 19 and did that till I was almost 21. And then I moved into the city, which 
if you're from Minnesota, you'd be like, wow, where did you live? You had to say into the city. The city yeah. <laughs> and it was hard to to leave such a small town where everything's like so close and you know everyone. The city was like the next kind of step to be like, okay, you, you got to actually like move into a place where there's bigger things. And so I started working for a 3D design studio, just doing the office management, like just stepping into the creative field in that in that way. In your young, you know, your early 20s, <clears throat> that's kind of the place where you have to be at the bottom. <laughs> yeah. And How did you even find them? How did you even find them for well, your... My brother was dating this girl who was a 3D designer for them and they were looking for someone and she was like, she knew that I was trying to move and she was like, why don't you just take this job? If you don't like it, like whatever, find a different one. But like for now, you'll have a place to go. It was like the perfect setup. We had our beautiful loft. We had each other. We became really tight friends and she was dating my brother. Like it was just kind of, we just felt family right away. Mm -hmm. And then slowly we realized we hated working there. <laughs> so then we were like, what can we do that's gonna be like freeing and creative? Cause like for me always I needed creative outlets. So I would still go home and shoot my sisters on the weekends and do like fun creative photo shoots with them that were just like meaningless in the fact of they weren't creating any type of work for me, but I needed some outlet. And I would also do a lot of, thrift shopping so I would go and just dig and I'd find so much vintage just like stuff because ah. there'd be people being like well my grandma just died I'm gonna donate all her stuff and I'm like well grandma's got yeah. style <laughs> <laughs> holy crap <laughs> or I was just like like dressing like an old woman I don't know <laughs> but yeah I yeah I, I started a blog called Hannah's Closet and I basically had my little sister model and I would I would like put her in these full outfits, head to toe, shoes, jewelry, clothes, like everything that was all vintage from these sales. And I literally just turned it into like an archive. And I was like, okay, maybe I should start selling this stuff or maybe not. Nothing ever. I never did anything with it. I just let it be a place where I could look and be like, hey, what should we wear today? We would like open up the blog. It? Yeah. Oh, we would open God. up the blog and be like, let's wear this outfit. And it was kind of like, now I'm like, where what? is the app? Yes, Where that's what I was going to say. I was like, we need to start pulling the phone. Yeah, it's kind of like clueless. Like clueless. she gets on her computer and she's like, uh, what should I wear? <laughs> like that's how it was. But it was just like kind of having those little things that you did that were fun that were like they you didn't even have to have like an end goal of like making money off of it. It was just like for me, I just enjoyed cultivating things that made me feel happy about you know, life. And so anyways, the, you know, the job sucked and we were like, <laughs> well, at this point, you know, let's like stick. I was like, I'm going to stick it out for a little while just to see if, if it gets better or just to have it on a resume. So we we're like, well, let's figure out something we can do that would be fun. So we started a jewelry company together, actually. And this was when Instagram was just becoming like a business thing. Like it hadn't even really at all it had no tools we just started an Instagram and like I did all the visuals and she did all the website stuff because she was so good at like web and like that kind of thing. So we would do shoots together and then we started selling to stores and it like picked up pretty quick. What would you guys sell the rings for? So like even the first time you're selling your ring, are you guys both looking at each other like, well, what do you think? And just yeah. kind of guessing a price or I hear artists all the time, like really trying to navigate, like how do you understand the value of something, you know, because mm -hmm. you're doing it for a hobby. And at this point now it becomes something of value to someone else. And they're trying to figure out how do I even price this? So how did you guys navigate that? Well, we would look at how much time it would take us and what the cost of the material was, which it wasn't very 
high in time or price. So <laughs> yeah. we're like, honestly, do we like rip people off? No, we definitely don't. So I think we we charge like around 100 or under $100 for like a small ring. I was so minimalistic back then. Like you wouldn't catch me dead with this. Like, wow. You know, like she's referencing, Hannah's referencing her headboard, this beautiful headboard yeah, behind her. Yeah, because I'm sitting on my bed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the way I live right now and the type of color that's in my life is like so opposite to how I was. And I was like, I want to be like so seamlessly minimal that everything just feels clean all the time. Because I also growing up in a big family like that was a chaotic lifestyle and just stuff everywhere all the time <laughs> like oh you know, I so. love that you even said it, even the connection you know like yeah. I don't even everything because I'm also really drawn to things that are minimal except yeah. for and people I never really even had that connection you just had an aha moment for me because mm-hmm. I'm like wow you realized it, it, it sometimes and it's different for everyone's large family but that's like a sense of peace in that minimalism, you know, like yes. there's a sense of, of security and safety there and there's less choices and you do, do you end up feeling, I, I often end up feeling, um, just more joy with what you have. You yes. know, I think that sometimes people think of minimalism and there's like this idea that there's like a deprivation, but I actually feel more full when there yeah. is less. Yeah. Is that true for you also? Yeah. That's something that I have had to break free from is like that. Um, it's okay to be messy. It's okay to not clean the house up every single day. Like it's okay to have a, a clothing chair full of your clothes. Like my, my room is always kind of the place where I'm creating the mess. That's okay for me. The rest of the house, I try to keep it a little more like, okay, this is a communal (laughs) area, whatever. Like I clean up my stuff, but it's okay to, let the mess fall because at the end of the day, I am organized in who I am and I'm organized in my life. And I know that the mess doesn't define anything about me and that kind of thing. Cause it was hard. Like my, my parents' house was always messy. Oh, and not just messy, like clutter. Like my mom just like, she's a wonderful person, but when you have that many kids and you have to provide for them, like you kind of get into that desperate zone of like, well, you can't throw away that envelope because (laughs) it's perfectly useful for another time. Like she was so like on top of, you want to talk, people talk about like recycling and reuse and blah, blah, blah. Like it almost was like I had PTSD when I would hear those things because it's like, she Let was it go. so, so, so yeah. like that, but not even in a planetarian way. It was like a, this is how we survive. Like, yes. you know, like even like the, the bag that the beans would come in, she would like cut the top perfectly off and then she would reuse it to like <laughs> freeze her own vegetables. Like, and we had a huge garden and we had animals and like growing up that were like sustaining our life. I'm pretty sure there was a year that my dad made maybe 15 K in the whole year having at that time, seven children living on a tiny farm that had a huge plot of land. But like my mom was so good at sustaining us that he didn't have to buy us anything. So like they're paying like $300 a month in probably bills for the house. And then the rest is like, so really you could live off of that, you know, but like Mm -hmm. we came from absolute nothing and I felt like we had everything. So like Mm. to be able to do that, that's so powerful. It was to this extent, which like people sometimes don't believe me. Like she was the person who we'd be driving down the street and she's like, is that a deer? And she would see like a deer 
hit on the side of the road and she would get out and she'd feel it and she'd be like, it's still warm. Open the back. <laughs> she'd throw wow. the deer in the back and like yes. gut the deer like hanging from the kid's swing set in the backyard because, because that's venison for like the winter, you know? And like, wow. she's still on to this day, the call list for if a deer gets hit in her county, she gets called first and she gets the meat. Because like oh, nobody, I'm pretty sure she might yeah. be the only one on the call list. And I feel that when I, you know, when I think of you, like it's so much intertwined into, you know, the things that I love and appreciate about you. I'm always thinking, gosh, she's so resourceful. Like I see you in the back or on Instagram for those of you guys that will follow Hannah, like you will see her garden. You will see her like do it yourself in terms of like furniture or thrift mm-hmm. something. And like, I feel like it's, it's so much in your blood and it's so incredible that the way that you are living is so much what people um, aspire to live like now, you know, like yeah. we're like, man, it would be so cool to have a farm of our yeah. own. And, <laughs> you know, how can we be more resourceful with the things that we have? And it's so much threaded into your DNA. Yeah. And sometimes I'm like, wow, I'm a hypocrite. Like I should be doing way more because I have like the training. Like I grew up learning how to live off the land and, and what to do if I was stuck out in, in the wilderness and had nothing like how to survive. You know, my parents were um, strong believers in being prepared for things like even like this pandemic, like it really didn't even phase me that much because I honestly felt like once everything was described to us of how we had to like stay at home and keep food and like Joseph, I was like, interesting. So you're talking about basically my whole childhood, (laughs) like This could have happened when I was a kid and we would have never known about it. Like Mm -hmm. we live so far from everything and so disconnected that like we weren't phased by that kind of stuff. The the way that my parents lived was they always wanted to be off the grid. And when I say off the grid, I mean, they had all of us and none of us had birth certificates for like a very long time. I got one when I was 17 because I finally was like, I would like to have a car and like drive, you know, mm-hmm. and I needed to go at 17 is when I went to the PSEO and they needed that. So my mom, it kind of worked in my favor. She wanted me to go to the college. And so she worked her butt off to get it for me. But like it was hard to picture my life if if she wouldn't have done that, like I would have had to fight really hard to, for anything. Like it wouldn't be where I was or where I am now. And when I tried to get like a passport, even they were like, um, like interesting enough. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. It says here on your birth certificate at the bottom that it was issued at least one year after your birth. So that means you have to like show more documentation Mm. about where you were born. And it took me like almost eight months to prove that to them. And it came down to literally a receipt that my dad had, or my mom had found this receipt. My dad had bought chicken feed the day before I was born in the town they were saying I was born in. Oh my goodness. But I had to do like a DNA test with my parents. (gasps) We had to bring in like every single piece of paper that ever marked any trail of where I was. We had to do like all these affidavits. All these people had to sign affidavits saying that they knew that I was born and where I was born. 
But yeah, I was like the guy that I was talking to, the agent told me that I might only get a one year and he's like, have fun traveling for one year. But after that, like you're stuck in America. And that was like the most devastating thing. I hadn't gone anywhere yet. I hadn't left America yet. And at this point I was, I think, 20 years old. And my dream in life was to travel and was to see the world and to be told that that you literally will never be able to do that was like the most devastating thing ever. And I like was about to be okay with that. And, and then I got the tenure in the mail and the guy called me and he was like, I fought for you. And I was like, yeah, (laughs) I didn't think that I'd be where I am now and having traveled as As much, much. like it's a crazy amount now, but the life was very, I mean, there's so many stories and things about my upbringing that are just so entertaining and and crazy and people never believe that the way I am is the same person that grew up that way. People are like, well, how did you get here? Blah, blah, blah. And I think like, I don't know if it was being the second eldest and having all the brothers and like, I wasn't really like necessarily competitive. Like I'm not a competitive person, but I do have a high standard for myself. And I think like seeing how much my family struggled just to be able to have the things that they want, whether it is through having money or not. I just always wanted to find a way to cultivate my life in an organized way where I still could show creativity with organization. Yeah. Like, I don't think you have to be like one of my biggest inspirations for art is Cy Twombly. And I think his art is so chaotic, but his life in his studio was very clean and put together, you know, like, or I don't know about his full life, but like, he had a sense of like minimalism, but his art was so chaotic, mm-hmm. but in a minimalistic way. That's kind of like how I looked at like his art reflected how I saw my parents in my life. But then I wanted to have the full package of like my life can be crazy internally and have these scribbles across it. And like when I go home and see my family, I know it's still there. But like for myself, I can I'm not my family and I'm never going to be that same way because I have full control and power over who I want to be and where I am. And my upbringing has nothing to do with where I am now. And it was a great upbringing, but it always comes with, you know, everyone has those black holes in their life that sucked their energy and could make you be a dark person. Like if you're dwelling on that, basically right when I moved out of home, my or it was right before I moved, but my little brother got sick. He was 15 um, and he got sick with leukemia just kind of out of nowhere. My mom being a holistic person, she never took him to the hospital mm-hmm. or she didn't take any of us to the hospital, but she wouldn't take him to the hospital. And it took a long time. It took like a couple months before she finally did. And at that point it was so bad. He mm-hmm. couldn't walk. Like I carried him out of my back to the car finally And they knew immediately what it was. And he went straight into chemo and blah, blah, blah. And it turned into this whole thing. And he almost died. And he was on life support for like multiple months through that summer. And they were like, there's no way he'll come out of this. And it was just, it was such a traumatic experience. He then got well and we thought he would be fine. He ended up being totally fine and and cancer free for like four years and then it, he just relapsed and it all happened super fast and there was some doctor errors that happened that caused ended up inevitably causing his death um and that happened five years later so throughout also throughout my process of moving out of home and becoming my own person i was 
still having this like super negative thing that was happening at home. So it was hard for me to um, totally, totally feel like I was independent enough to be mentally clear and figure out what I wanted to do with my life because I felt like I couldn't actually go anywhere. I felt like I couldn't move out of the the country or the state. And I felt like um, guilty for even like wanting to do that. For one, to just even wanting to leave or, you know, yeah. I, was, I was telling someone the other day that um, I lost my father to cancer. So I'm thinking of yeah. my heart goes out to you. Yeah. But there's a, there comes a, a point where you feel almost like a guilt sometimes to enjoy your life, yeah. you know, because you feel like I don't want to leave this person behind in some way. Um, that's how I always felt with my father. Like, man, I don't know if I want to have too, like too good of a time because, mm-hmm. you know, then he's not with me. Did you, how did you kind of navigate? And I'm, I'm always curious, especially for someone who loses a, a family member so young, how did you navigate grief and, and trauma and despair in that way? Mm. Um, I'm sorry for that loss for you too. That's, I don't understand how people get through it because it was, um, one of the traumatic, most traumatic, or was the most traumatic thing I've ever experienced. And the fact that it happens all the time is just so terrible and death in general is just so unknown and so scary. But, um, there was, I think escapism is something Mm. that I would have to say is, the only way that I got through it, honestly, I met my husband during that time who were not married anymore. But at the time we were dating kind of when the relapse happened. And so I had someone I could escape mentally with who he came from a very solid family and um, they didn't really have major issues. So it felt like I had a safe place <laughs> and he was from New Zealand, a different country. So when I said I felt guilty leaving, it was because mm. I actually was really? yeah and i left for um a little while before he relapsed and then when the relapse happened i felt like i shouldn't leave and but i i kind of still had to because we're you know i was dating this person and he was a skier so he was traveling all over the place so it was hard for us to see each other unless i was going a little bit you know at a time to see him so basically what ended up happening was the we wanted to get married at some point and we should have waited longer because we were too young to be doing something so big. But the doctors told us, you know what, we're going to be honest. Your brother's probably not going to make it to the next summer. Mm. And I like, obviously my heart didn't want to believe that that was true, but I also was like, Joshua needs to be at this wedding. So we got married a year sooner than I think Mm. in my head I wanted to. And I sure I'm positive in his head he wanted to. But we were like, you know what? We want to be together forever. So we're going to make this what it is. And so we planned the wedding. And we'd only been dating like less than a year. We planned the wedding in like two months or I did. And like it all turned out so beautiful. And it was still one of the greatest days ever. You know, even though we're not together now, it like was such a great day because my brother was there and he was Mm -hmm. happy. And like he wasn't even supposed to be there. The doctors said no. And he just checked himself out. He was wearing a mask. Like at this point, he had no hair, you know, like. And he had to go back to the ER th- twice that night because he couldn't breathe, but came back. And I was like, Josh, uh, what are you doing? He's like, I want an after party with you. You know, like he just wanted to be there so badly. And like, I look back at that day and I'm like, it was worth it. Yeah. The the marriage and everything, whether it was 
going to last or not. It was worth having him there and to be joyful and experience. He hadn't done anything that wonderful in so long because he had been so restricted to a hospital bed. He had so many other things that happened. Like when, when people get cancer, it's not just cancer. Like it's, it's like all kinds of surgeries (laughs) that they have to do for other things that their body is experiencing. And so like, he was just like going through torment and he got to have this wonderful day with us. And I had all of my special people there with me and I had someone that I felt like I, you know, I was in love with at the time. And so it was a great, great magical day. And after that being married, I felt like, you know, I need to be with my husband. So we did go back to New Zealand for the season and it was kind of the worst experience ever because then Josh was going through a lot of different things and he had some brain swelling and he was calling me a lot, like kind of totally, he was having like weird, like dreams and stuff like during the day yeah. like hallucinations mm-hmm. yeah yes so he would call me and just be like are you seeing this and I'm like no <laughs> I'm not like you know like he just didn't know what was going on yeah. and so I'm on the other side of the globe being like this is so traumatic like so traumatic to like know that your brother's suffering so bad so everything felt like you were saying I felt so guilty in my life I was like I can't be happy why should I be happy with with where I'm living. I'm in this beautiful country, but like, why should I be happy to be here? Like he is suffering and dying. And like, I don't deserve this. He deserves this. Like I would trade Mm. places with him if I could. Yeah. It's like- Only someone who's been there knows that line. Yeah. Because you're like, please, I would do anything to just switch. You love them so much, you know? And even be like, he's this little kid. Like he's 18 years old at this point. Like he hasn't even lived at all. And I'm like, it just was- horrible and the what happened I mean it ended up being six months after we got married he passed away and so I was there in the room when it happened and we were all there and Mm. it was it it was so surreal like it doesn't it still doesn't feel like that's something I experienced like you just can't mm -hmm. comprehend seeing some someone go through that um but basically I just escaped from the grief which once I went to grief counseling and once, um, you know, everything happened with the divorce and everything, and I actually got counseling and saw through why the marriage ended and and why I was the way I was throughout the marriage, it was like, I think even before we got married, I was already dealing with resentment and grief for why is this happening to my brother and why is this person that I'm with, why is his life so perfect? And like, I already had a immaturity of emotions like I didn't understand now I know I'm like hey life is pretty crappy and then you die but there's some great things (laughs) in between you know but like that's my mentality was just life is crappy then you die like now Mm. I understand that like bad things are just going to keep getting thrown at you because that's how life is and like gravity is a real thing you can pray as hard as you want but if you drop that ball it's still gonna hit the ground like that kind of thing has always been in my head like I, my family always thought we could just like pray our way out of things or like, just be Mm. like, oh, everything's going to be positive if we believe. And it's like, Mm. I still have my spiritual side and my spiritual faith, but I know that we do live in this world where it's like science is real and things happen Happen. that are Mm -hmm. negative, whether you like it or not, whether there's a God or not, like there's, it's an uncontrollable space we live in now. Mm -hmm. And to feel like, woe is me. Why is this happening to me? It's like, it's not happening to you. Like this is happening to your brother. 
Mm-hmm. And he's the one going through all this. Like you're being a little bit selfish being like, oh, like now my life has to be so terrible because he's suffering. Like you can still enjoy your life and still be happy and like still support him through that, what he's going through and just be that solid rock for him. And I did that when I would go into the hospital. And I think once he passed away, I felt like I didn't have any feelings of positivity anymore. And I felt like I didn't want to carry on anymore. And I didn't see the point in anything or anyone. And my grief absorbed all of my positive energy. And it was just Mm -hmm. like, it was too overwhelming. It was too overbearing. Like, and in grief counseling, you know, some of the main things are like when someone passes away, you should stay with your family for a while. You should be around friends that understand what you're going through. And, you know, you should let the grief happen, which I did all the opposite. You know, Mm. I wasn't with my family. I was around a bunch of athletes that all they cared about talking about was, you know, the skiing and that kind of stuff. And I get it. That's, it's not their responsibility to dote on me, but it was my responsibility to say, Hey, this is something I need to face and I need to go and be with my family and stay there until Mm -hmm. I'm able to like face this. And I didn't. So I know now how easy it is to get stuck in negative and negativity and negative thoughts. And I am way more self-aware. I basically had gone into a state of chronic depression and chronic anxiety, which you'd never see if you looked at the social media that I was posting and the, and the lifestyle I was living and the places I was traveling and things I was doing, you'd be like, wow, what a great life, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, her brother died, but it seems like everything's fine mm. because I didn't really share a lot of personal things. And like, I still, to an extent, don't, which I think I should share more about that. And that's why this is great. I think like people don't understand that it doesn't matter what you have or where you live or, you know, what car you drive or how much money you have, you can still be depressed and you can still have these dark thoughts. And, and I definitely had that and experienced it to the most insane extent that I was unable to like see any light at the tunnel. Mm -hmm. And the divorce, I think is what kind of slingshotted me into being like, now there's a self help like program I need to get into and figure out Mm -hmm why I was the way I was and why this happened. Being that young, I think it's like, it's always just hard. You have to, you got to go through stuff. It just sucks. But it would be nice to just kind of, you know, swing through life above all the negativity, but that's not how it is. And it's like, you've got to deal with the demons to get to the brighter side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what I had to do was like, I had to self-reflect so much and be like, I'm wrong. I did these Mm. things wrong. I was like, blah, 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 blah. Before I could be like, now I'm able to know that I'm in, in my right path again. You know, I had to just like, you know, like reflect. And, and I think like, and I also like want to just hold like space for you and like have grace for your process in the sense that 
there is no rule book of like, hey, when you lose someone really close mm-hmm. to you, this is going to affect the other people. And I think that so many times it is like, you know, there people are thinking of my dad or they're thinking of your brother and we love them and we adore them. But it's also very traumatic for people involved. Like I remember calling a hotline. There was like this hotline. I looked up a number and it was like, OK, this is it was like a, a council of a group of people that you call when someone has passed from cancer. Mm-hmm. And my dad hadn't passed, but I called and I was like, so scared. And I'm like, hi, um, my dad just been diagnosed with cancer. I was wondering if I like could come to the local meeting and they're like, oh, I'm sorry, sweetie. You know, you can call us back when he's passed. What? And I remember being like, like just shocked, but they just had limited resources yeah. for this support. And so I realized there's just not that much support for people as you're going through the process. Mm-hmm. So as your brother, it's equally as difficult for your brother and my father as it is for the people around that have to watch that sort mm-hmm. of experience happen, you know? Yeah. And, and really you just kind of feel like I'm supposed to go on with my life. And, you know, sometimes like for me, I buried myself into work. Yeah. I still really find, you know, peace there. I'm like, my dad was working when I'm working it reminds me of my dad Mm -hmm. but um yeah just learning to like hold just a space of grace for your process you know and learning that you you work through it and there was no like right or wrong way but you know we can have like fuller choices now Mm -hmm. when we have that awareness you know yeah Um, and and you're trying to survive yeah I didn't mean to discredit the obviously myself and you and other people that go through the loss of someone that is so true what you said like it's it's definitely super extremely hard on the family and like it's it definitely it affected uh one of my other brothers who was best best friends with joshua Mm. you know they were super close and now he suffers from ptsd from witnessing such a traumatic five years that josh went through and he is sometimes functioning sometimes not like it fully fully mentally affected him there's no in no way am i discrediting that that's like so not a thing like it's it definitely it was so apparent in my life that i was suffering deep deep deeply from this traumatic grief that i didn't know how to find a way out and yeah i think the outlets were very hard and like everybody's kind of like well they're you know, I'm sorry, but they're dead now. Like, yeah, you should probably, yeah, yeah. You should probably just be a little <laughs> yeah. bit happy, you know? Like, they'd want you to be happy. They'd, they'd want you to live your life up, blah, 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 blah. I just think now, and maybe I only think this now because I've gone through it already. Mm. I just know that now if I lost someone, I would know how to handle it differently and not make it so traumatic. Also for people around me, I think like my husband, I was, my grief kind of overflowed onto our relationship so strongly Mm. that it made it difficult in that way where I didn't even accept anyone's love or like trying to Mm. help me heal because I was like, this is so my pain that you'll never understand. And like, and he kind of did say, I don't understand, but like, (laughs) you know, but like, you know, it was almost like I had a selfish grief where I was like, Mm. I hid it from my family. I tried to be supportive um, and show that I was like the rock and I had it together. Mm. So I didn't show my grief to them. And so I didn't open up and tell them how I felt. And it wasn't until we separated and I went back to Minnesota and was with my family. And I just fully just like letter buck. I was like, you guys have no idea. Like, this is what I've been going through. Just cried it out and laid it mm. on the table. And we all, they all, my whole family came around me and hugged me. Mm. and cried with me and like embraced me and was like 
we were here this whole yeah. time. time. We are mm. feeling the same thing you were feeling. It's okay to feel yeah. that way. And it's okay to like let out those things you need to talk about and blah, blah, blah. blah. Like you don't have to be strong and like yeah. and hold it internally. And I was giving off my negative energy to the closest person to me, which is a partner, obviously. And then you want to show all your friends and your family that you're fine. Fine, yes. You know, because you want to be Especially when you're that queen bee. Especially when you've been that queen bee. Big sis, and I'm watching, you know, I'm watching the deterioration of one of my other brothers and and my family in other ways that I'm like, well, I can't be the one to also be like, well, guys, I'm suffering too. You know, like I didn't, like I didn't want to be selfish in that way, but then I was selfish towards my personal life and the person mm-hmm. that was closest to me. I was selfish in making it their problem, you know? And so now I know like the the grief process that is a healthy process is like mm-hmm. to speak about it, to grieve about it openly and to connect with other people, you know, like you who've gone through a similar thing and like um, get into groups and find those outlets. And I think- I think mental awareness now is so much more prevalent than it was back then. Even like I've worked with multiple brands now on mental awareness stuff. And I feel super open about talking about depression and anxiety and like the, you know, the dark thoughts. And I had suicidal thoughts after the divorce and I didn't want to be alive. And I didn't think I could ever get back up on top after something so traumatic, like losing my brother and then having a divorce happen within like, a year and a half or two years later, like that was something I felt like was there. That was a mountain. Like I didn't even want to climb. I'm like, I don't care what that view is. I am not climbing that. Like (laughs) I'm done here. We're washed up. (laughs) We're washed up at 26. She's a washout. (laughs) We're done. (laughs) You know, like, but Can you talk a little bit, Hannah? Yeah, I love that. Um, and we'll kind of get into it. Thank you so much for sharing this. I think it's incredible. Can you talk a little bit about some of the like routines and practice that you do now to stay on top of your brain health and mental health and emotional well-being? Oh, what yeah. does that look like for in your daily life? Yeah, well, <clears throat> a big one for me is self-affirmations. So affirming myself in um, positivity daily. What you say out loud it affects your internal body because you're Mm. speaking to your vessel, you know? And like that is so much bigger than I think anything people really like take time to think about is we're so easily like saying like, oh, you're so stupid. Like, why did I do that? But that Mm -hmm. is something that your body's hearing, you know? And it's even been proven that if you say out loud multiple times, I'm so tired, that you get more tired. Yes. And if you are saying like, I'm so stupid, I feel so dumb, like your brain gets a little foggy there. Like there's just there's just so much power in the tongue and like what you say. And it's like words are powerful in how you say them to other people and the way that you say them, but also for yourself. So is that something um, for someone that is just hearing affirmations for the first time? Is it something that you're waking up and saying out loud? Or for me, a lot of times I'll write down like a few affirmations like goal they could be goals or they could just be like you're amazing today you're going to do so much you have energy you have the power to have everything you want everything's in your control blah 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 like all these kinds of things and like i also say them out loud a lot of times when i'm driving because you know we're always in traffic in la we've had the beauty of no traffic lately but like it's it's back it back up so having um 
time to like, I usually don't even listen to music when I'm driving. I just speak to myself. And um, I also pray, you know, and I thank God for all the things that I already have. And I try and have a positive outlook on those things instead of focusing on like the things that I didn't get. It's mm. like, thank you, you know, thank you, God, I have this. Thank you, Lord, I have this. Thank you, Lord, for this. You know, for some people, it's like God isn't the thing. And for that, for them, it could be the universe they're speaking out. Like, thank you that my family is this. And thank you that I am here. And thank you for this. And I need this. And like, yes, you put work behind those words always. I think affirmations is the more, the more times you say something, <clears throat> the more your brain is thinking about it. So the more movement you're going to make towards that goal subconsciously. You're subconsciously going to be, if you're always speaking to yourself, I'm a positive, energetic person. You're going to like, your brain's going to, when you go to be non-energetic and yeah. not positive, <clears throat> your brain's going to be like, but wait, that, that doesn't belong to we're us. We're kind of a yeah. positive, energetic <laughs> person. What are we doing here? You know, like we have to keep reminding ourselves every day of what we want to be in the place we want to be in and also like creating that space in energy so like other people that are around us if you're if other people are bringing in that negative energy and bringing you down my goal now is to surround myself with people that lift me up build me up and always have like a place of like where I can do that for them and they're doing it back to me and if anyone ever makes you doubt yourself Doubt them. Like, don't mm. doubt yourself. Doubt them. Hannah, I fell off my chair. <laughs> I said, Woo! Bye. <laughs> yeah, like, that's where I feel like everybody needs to just have their own path for everything. Like, there's no, and like, I, like, way back to the start, that's how my mom was. She's like, you don't have to follow the social norm. You can do whatever you want in any path or shape or form that you want. As long as that's you, incredible. yeah, as long as you put the work in and you believe that you're going to get there, you probably will. Like, no matter what, there's always going to be a battle. And you have to keep feeding your brain the same as you feed your body. You can't think, oh, I'm going to do this affirmation for one time and then I'm going to be sweet. It's like exercise. Your body's going to deteriorate unless you keep doing those exercises. You have to exercise your brain every day to believe what you are saying to it. Because it's not you're not going to believe that stuff the first time you say Oh yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Right. I'm an energetic, right. positive person. Yeah. You know, that consistency. Yeah. The repetition. And I've seen it happen too. It, like even in my fa- finances being like, this is my goal for this year and then I'll pass it. And then the next year and like the next year. And it's like that you don't have to set these crazy, crazy goals. You just set a small goal, but you'll pass it because your mind is there and you're like saying yes to things that maybe you wouldn't. And then once you get to the goal that you want to be at, you're able to say no to the things that you don't want Mm. to do. You know, it's like you get it's just like this ladder of like self-improvement and it's a slow build because that's how everything is. You can't get fit overnight, you know, just like you can't get fat overnight. Like it's whatever you're going to do. Like you got it takes a little bit of time of doing a habit, a routine, a ritual every day. Oh. The self-affirmation thing is like something that I, I mean, some of the biggest athletes in the world do that kind of thing. Yes. They, they really spend a lot of time on their mental health, mental um, building and mental barriers and boundaries. And like boundaries, I think, are huge to have with family and friends um, and yourself in just your energetic space. And 
when I feel a negative energy, I either have to talk about it immediately and like know what's going on with that person. Or if it's someone that, you know, I don't feel close enough to do that, I have to I have to get them out of my out of my bubble, out of my safety mm. zone. And like that is the that's immediately what has to happen. Otherwise, it starts to deteriorate my well-being, you know? I have a question for you about this because there's this like really kind of fine line between, you know, when something is new, it can also feel really uncomfortable or people can feel uncomfortable. How do you audit when something is uncomfortable because it's new and it's inviting you to grow and uncomfortable because there's no space for it and it's toxic? How do you learn to be able to decide which is which? I think that's where your intuition and your gut comes in like really strongly. And that's something also that can be learned either you have that some people lead with their heart some people lead with their gut you know but like for me i lead most of my decisions are made off of my gut instinct and it's crazy like it's basically never been wrong mm. and 90 percent of the time i've been wrong where i've like i've made the choice to go against what my gut felt and i was mm. wrong it's just with that murky water feeling where you're like there's something not right here, not right here. Dun, dun. Dun, 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 you know, like, and when you start to have that, that's when your brain cells get a click in and you'd be like, okay, now we're going to like evaluate the situation, get advice from other people. I take time on things and mm. I, and I try to like listen to my intuition and my gut and generally it works out in the best way. And then sometimes you have to say no to something that you thought was going to be like, great. And this, I think. I think relationships is like a huge one that people don't listen to their gut with. Please. Yeah. So it's like in that case, it's like sometimes you're like, you know, my gut is telling me no, but But. everybody else is saying yes. So like, (laughs) would I be Mm. dumb not to do this? You know, in most, okay, all cases of my relationships, my gut's been like, like, let's talk about this. (laughs) (laughs) My gut's been like, hey, there's a there's something a little bit off. Like, let's maybe just stand back from this and let's not do that. You know, even with um, the marriage, there was something deep down in my gut that was like, just you got to wait. And Mm. and in that case, it was like I really wanted to have my brother there and do all those things. And I'm glad that I did it. And And that was a case where the gut was right. I did the opposite. And I kind of I was definitely wrong. We know now. But like. It was still something that I don't th- I don't think I maybe would have done differently. Like it was a character building experience that slingshotted me to the place I am now in my life. And that's such a hard that's such a hard one, like to to be like, man, it seems so perfect <laughs> on the outside. But then deep down here, my guts being like, yo, Not listen you, up yeah. like this mm-hmm. person is so wonderful, but we don't we're not sure about the ends the end goal here i think that's what you know i just always had a like a little bit one foot like one toe one long toe <laughs> just like kind of waiting at the edge of like and that and that's like not how i want to be in life i'm like everything i want everything i do in my life i want to be like fully in or fully out mm, you know yeah. and you know my faith i'm like i'm so fully in my own lane of how i grasp spirituality and I find a lot of like religious aspects of life to be a little bit daunting and not things I want to be a part of. And so there's, I think some things where you got to go with your gut of like, how is this going to serve me in a positive way? And like, if you can take some things from what's, 
you know, if you could take a few things and leave the rest, then do that. But otherwise be in or out. And like, if the gut is saying no, just go, just go with no, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, yes. sure. Maybe you'll miss out on a huge opportunity, but you don't know where that opportunity would have gone. Like you, it's, uh, it sucks because you have to, you almost have to live with, with making mistakes first, especially when mm. you're young to get to a place where you can follow your intuition and your gut. It's like mm. almost like it's the battle yeah. of life. It really is. It's like, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to get slapped down to the <laughs> ground before you can feel that feel, gut thing. Yeah. yeah. And recognize it. Like if you don't, if you don't know what it feels like to not listen to your gut, then you don't know how to also. So like yeah. it, some of it comes with the territory just a little bit. Um, can you, you are an incredible creative, a photographer, <laughs> a creative director. I mean, your work, I remember the first time seeing it just like blown away. I think my jaw was literally on the ground. <laughs> Can you talk to us a little bit about just um, when was the first time that, you know, what brought you to L.A. in the first place? Um, can you can mm. we start there? What brought you to L.A.? Well, specifically, I guess we could go back to where we left off in that I was living in that loft in that beautiful space and my hair was Khaleesi white. I was wearing all black. I had a white lizard, a white bird, and a white betta fish. I mean, did that, you really? That is the extent I went to. I'm sorry. You said all in earlier. Yeah. You did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, <laughs> do it right or get out of here. Um, but I, I always knew I was going to do something with my life that was outside of Minnesota and that the partnership I was in kind of brought me here in, mm -hmm. in the sense of like, he was from New Zealand. I was from Minnesota. He skied. We were always in winter and we wanted somewhere that we were like, we could be based where it was like middle ground and it was warm, but it, it took after the separation, everything to actually go, okay, what am I going to do in LA for myself? And like, how is this going to be a place that I sustain my like dreams and passions. And, um, I moved back after everything. And I just started basically doing everything and anything. I started modeling first and was just doing like a lot of that got with an agency, started meeting brands, started network networking. Then brands started reaching out and being like, Hey, we, we love, you know, the photos that you're posting. Can you do some like similar stuff like for our brands and whatever. And so then I started doing like, I'd have my friends shoot me in. It was kind of like I was modeling for those brands, but then I was sharing them on my social. From there, I met one of my best friends now at the pinnacle point of that switch from like modeling into back into photography. And she was going through a life change too. She was leaving her nine to five to start her own creative studio. And so we just became immediate soundboards and best friends for each other. And she, her name's Cassie and she has Palo Santo Studios. And she did so much for me in that time. And I have like multiple other friends that definitely supported me and helped me through the transition. And it was like, without them, I wouldn't be where I am. But in the work aspect, Cassie really like threw me out there and was like, oh, well, I can tell that you have a good eye let's start doing shoots for these small brands that don't really have any content yet. They, they've been doing it themselves and like, let's see what we can do. We just started doing shoots all the time. And like, we would just, sometimes it would be like, we drive to Joshua tree with three different brand 
like material and I would model and she would shoot me and we would just create lifestyle imagery for these brands and they would use it across their platforms. And it really like was helping them so much. So we started just doing it all the time. And then now we've gotten to a place, I mean, not now, now because of everything going on, but like now the studio's gotten to a place where we have full teams and we're like on full yeah. sets and we're like doing location shoots and we have the full thing and I don't have to be the one doing everything and she doesn't have to do everything anymore and it's like we feel like we've been able to build such a momentum and then like my social media stuff it's almost like my life mood board sometimes I look at it I'm like this is what I picture <laughs> like the palette of my life and like yeah. my home and everything I just feel like I put a lot of work into curating even my closet like it's I've gotten down to like all the clothes that I love and mm. a lot of vintage still. I'm so inspired by vintage stuff and and working with small brands who are sustainable and work really hard to lift their footprint and, you know, create these capsules that are all based on recycling. Just it's really turned into something that I never thought I'd be able to sustain my life off of something so wonderful. That's so fun. I love working with all these brands that have like minded ways of doing things. And I've done um, capsules with brands. I'm actually launching a small capsule in June with a brand and we did it all sustainably. And the silhouettes are so beautiful and I'm so excited. Yes. Yeah. We can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> but that's kind of where my my thing is now going. I'm I'm getting into the the designing and doing like kind of collabs with brands like that, which is so fun. Yeah. And I feel like you, you've you like shared so many important um, tips for people in terms of like sometimes just creating um, and finding people to collaborate with without necessarily the intention to make money at first. Yeah. Um, and just kind of like really, it doesn't have to be photography. It could be a service of any kind or a product of any kind. Just share, you know, putting mm -hmm. that out there and sharing it with people as a, like a springboard for you to kind of grow. And I feel sometimes... Um, you know, people feel stuck in terms of how to do that. But it seemed like you guys just really kind of did the hard work first and were able to build from there. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was it was a lot of work and it just felt um, it's it felt really rewarding to see the imagery come out and know that we we put something together so low bush. Yeah. But it, it it was But don't you feel like the low budget stuff sometimes is the thing that you're most proud of because you realize mm -hmm. like wow, I was really resourceful and hell that yeah. came out pretty solid. Exactly. Yeah. And it's and like now I've during this quarantine time I've been shooting a lot of stuff at home and using my tripod and still creating imagery and doing still lives and wow, I'm kind of back to where I was before. It's a mm -hmm. little bit humbling like yeah. <laughs> where I'm like doing it all. It's all me and my tripod and my camera, you know, like but the fact that I can do that and the fact that I can mm. continue working through this time, I'm like realizing, oh, my gosh, all those skills that I built at the start of my career is so crucial now, like that I've been able to like have this outlet and I know how to do and I know mm. how to make these angles work and everything. And, and um, so I'm like grateful that I had that kind of trial period at the beginning. But for for someone who's starting out. And it's like, ah, like, I want to be on this level. I want to have this lifestyle of, of HFL, whatever it is. Because <laughs> yeah. people have asked me about that. And like, how did you get there? Like, I want to do the same thing you're doing. Mm -hmm. And like, honestly, define who you are, define your voice, define what you're passionate about, find, you know, your goal of 
what you want to accomplish with it. So at the beginning, I had no idea. I was like, ah, I'm just out here running around. Like, you know, I'm modeling, I'm working with brands, I'm shooting, I'm, and I was also working a part-time and, and doing like digital marketing and like all this stuff. And I, and now I've like, I let go of the part-time, I let go of the modeling, I let go of a lot of things. And I, as like my spirit animal is a great white shark, like gotta keep moving or I'll drown, you know, like gotta have all, gotta have my hands on a lot of things. In the beginning, it was all kind of like, take it all, take it all mm-hmm. in, take in all the, all the jobs, all the people that are asking to do things, take all the opportunities, do things for free, create imagery with people, just like, and define your palette, define your voice and your style and your aesthetic and create that whole package. So I've done it. I mean, it took me like, I'd say 28 years. It's only been mm. like in the last year that I feel like I've really honed it in. I've been like, I know now, like, no matter how many places I move to, I know what kind of house I'm going to get. Mm. I know what kind of place I'm going to live in. I know what kind of furniture I'm going to put in it. You know, no, no, how, no matter how many brands reach out to me and say, hey, we want to send you these clothes. I know that I'll say no to these because they're not my style. I know that mm. I won't take that job even if it's paying a lot because it's not something I want to promote. It's not something I can get behind. I'm able now to be like, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, because I know exactly what I like. I've just found that everybody has their own style and that's so wonderful. Sure, it could be like someone else's, but I don't care. Like it's mine and I'm not looking at what anyone else is doing. I'm doing my own. And like that is something is that is also really important is like don't look at what other people are doing. Yes, take inspiration, of course. And I take a lot from vintage photography and vintage style. And that's why all my furniture is vintage and most of my clothes are vintage. And why I also like to work with small startup companies and like that kind of thing, because I feel like the fast fashion is just something I don't want to be a part of. Yeah. Once you, once you do all of that and you kind of build your palette of who you are and your lifestyle, it becomes easier for a brand to look at you and be like, well, this person knows what they're doing and she fits our style and you're not going to fit everyone's of course. Mm. And that's fine. We have, you have to know what you like and you have to know you know, what brands you work well with. And like, that's your path, you know? And I think that's like something for a long time I struggled with. I was like, I want everyone to like me. I want to basically like everything. I want blah, 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 blah. And like, I don't have any allergies. Now I'm allergic to kale. I'm like, but kale's so big, you know? But it's like, it's fine now to be like, that doesn't suit me. That does. No, I'm not down with that, but I'm down with this. Like just being able to like, this is my voice. This is how I am setting my boundaries, setting my limits, like that kind of thing. And just doing the work at the start and being like, I can do all this stuff. And something that I didn't realize till later in life is that most of the time you're going to hate a lot of the things that you do. You're going to hate a lot Mm. of your old work, but that means that you're growing as an artist. It's important. We look at some of the ugly as some of the best work, you know? Mm. So like always know that your ugly could be someone else's masterpiece and like, let that be something that echoes in your brain when you look at it and you're like, oh, save the save that stuff that you hate, save the imagery that you hate and always know that you can do better for yourself. But it still might be something that someone loves. I did this sh- shoot like years ago in New York and it was like just it was very basic or whatever, but it's still the brand's favorite shoot and they use it for really. Yeah. And it was like very yeah. low budge. Pretty sure like. It was, I didn't even send them high res photos because it was like, <laughs> you know, at that time you're like, oh, well, whatever. So it's just like they they look at that imagery now and they always try and 
repeat that shoot. And it was like mm. something that I was like, ah, I don't know if this is good. Yeah. And I sent it th- to them being like, I don't even know if this is good. And they loved it. So you never know. Like your eye will always be the biggest judge. Critic. And the yeah, biggest critic. critic of your work. So just remember that. Hannah, well, you just gave us a couple things. Like what are what are you currently into then? What are some things, you know, LA, we hear so often that LA is like such a diverse place for people in terms of their experience. Where do you like to hang out when we are obviously not in quarantine? Where do you like to grab food? What type of music are you listening to? What's kind of moving you? Music, I'm like, I'm not big like music. I don't like find it because I have a mm-hmm. friend who actually like <laughs> she curates amazing playlists. Her name's I'm all plug her. Yeah, I'll send it. <laughs> Uh, Dan- yeah. Danielle Hall, she's from Canada and she has a Spotify channel and she makes these amazing playlists. I'm I'm very much into like things that just kind of soul pulling and mm-hmm. like African jazz. Like and I also love a lot of music that is like French music and Italian and like Riviera type stuff that yes. sometimes it's just nice to not under really understand what they're saying. <laughs> We'll have to put it in the show notes. We'll put a link in the show notes because yeah, yeah. people are going to be like, let me get that playlist. Yeah, I'll give you that. Um, <laughs> But, oh, and hanging out, like I love to go, um, I've been trying to surf more with my friends and then I just love anything outside of LA. Honestly, I'm like, take me to the beach. I've got like some hidden coves that I go to, some beaches that are like really quaint. They just feel like you're in the French Rivieras. And then I also love to go camping like up in like Sequoia and stuff. And I've posted that that's where I love to be like in California. And it's like, I don't really understand LA. I've lived here a while, but I don't, I'm like, you're such a big city. Like get it together. Like, what are we doing here? (laughs) You know, like, why are we driving so far to get to one spot? You know, we should be able to walk and do all this stuff, but it is great. Like there's so much diversity here. The city's so amazing, but like as a, as a city life, like if I was going to continue living in a city, I feel like I want to live somewhere where it's like, a city on the beach. I might have to go to Italy. I don't know. But I was like, you sound like you're going overseas. You're leaving me, Hannah. Yeah. I'm coming right along yeah. with. <laughs> but um, places in LA that I like to eat. I used to live in Silver Lake. Squirrel was my favorite place to go for breakfast. Oh, oh my gosh. And then is this the chef that's also at the proper? I think so. And I heard, yeah, okay. they're opening another restaurant as well. I've, I'm like, I love Thai food too. So like non-LA is like 10 minutes from me and I I get vermicelli from there like all the time. That's your jam. That's my jam. Yeah. Anything Thai, like sushi, love sushi. My favorite sushi restaurant is actually in um, Laguna. So it's so far to go to. But What is it called? It's called Sushi Fusion 242. And the chef was trained by Chef Nobu. She's a woman. And she uh, worked with him at the Hard Rock Cafe in Vegas and she got kind of like vibed out by all the male chefs. And so she was like, that's it. I'm leaving. And she went and started her own little restaurant. Yes. She she got like a hole in the wall, like little spot, like not even really comfortable to sit there. But like the food is just insane. She she doesn't allow. Well, she'll give it to you if you really want. But she doesn't have she's like no soy sauce, no ginger, no wasabi because she makes everything fresh and she makes all the sauces herself. And she goes on these hikes and she takes pictures of nature and she makes the sushi look like nature. She'll do like a Ah. caterpillar roll looks like the caterpillar or like she'll do like a sunset, which is like a field of flowers with a sunset. And like, it's just beautiful. She's like, and her whole staff is women. And it's not that she's like 
even trying to do that. It's just that any guy who works there gets like vibed out. He's like, ah, because it's like such a cultural thing for like men to be in charge of cooking. So, you know, she didn't want to have that. She was like, I just need to like have this be a powerful place for women if men want to be a part of it for sure. But like nobody has wanted to. But that place, that place is so bomb. There's some hole in the wall places that for like pad thai that I like too. But and then what else? Um, Vintage shops. My friend owns yeah. a vintage shop um, in Silver Lake called Babes on Legs. She does like some of the coolest stuff, just like out out of this world, like pieces that are just like '90s fire looks. She's got such a cool vibe. She threw a 7-Eleven party one time. She literally oh, had like stop. she literally had like Slurpees and like hot dogs like stop. on the thing. It was so cool. Like she's that. It's so awesome. I just love that there's so much of that in LA. Everybody can just be themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, like. I go, I go back to Minnesota. I'm like, holy crap, everyone's wearing the same leggings and North Face <laughs> zip up. <laughs> and then yeah. you come to LA and you just see such characters. And I think it's really so inviting for anyone coming here. And I feel like, especially during these times, it's like everybody needs to feel accepted and loved for who they are. And as like a community, we all coming together and just be yourself is like such a, important thing you know and LA I think really allows that like you could see the weirdest thing and you just don't even notice you're like it's like mm-hmm. someone could be wearing the craziest thing and you're like it doesn't yeah it honestly looks <laughs> a little dressed down so <laughs> Hannah thank yeah. you so much we love how you've designed your life and just thank you for sharing with us and being open about your journey yeah thank you um, so we'll much. have yeah, we're going to have all Hannah's information linked below so you can follow her. You can keep your eyes open for her collaboration and to support her in her work. Hannah, we adore you. Thank you for listening to this episode. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast on whichever platform you use and head over to mgmethod.com to stay in the loop by signing up on our email list, which will give you all things MG. MG.